let's fi find our Bibles. Let's open them to Matthew 26, please. Matthew 26. And page 1544 in that book rack Bible right in front of you there, if you'd like to use that. Maybe you have a Three Crosses app on your phone or tablet. Uh, you can find an outline there. You can also pick up outlines when you come into service. We have them out at the doorways. And so that's an opportunity if you want to take notes and follow along. We're taking a little journey with Christ all the way to the cross in this little portion of Matthew called the Passion Narratives. It started in chapter 26 uh, where Jesus announces to his disciples that he's about to leave them and he's going to be tried, crucified. He's going to give his life for them. He spends a little time in a place called Bethany with his close disciples there in, a, in an evening of honor given to him. This woman breaks a jar of expensive perfume and worships him. And it's a beautiful setting of an anointing of Christ. Jesus goes from there. He spends some time with his disciples in the upper room uh, where he has the last Seder meal, the Passover meal that all the Jews were assembling in Jerusalem to participate in. And in that meal, he reveals that someone of those 12 were going to betray him, give him over. Uh, very tense moment. Uh, Jesus doesn't even finish the meal. They leave the last cup on the table. And he takes his disciples out on a little prayer walk over to, uh, through Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, up the other side of the Mount of Olives, where Jesus all the while is explaining to them very important teachings. John 14 through 17 is where we find that context in the Gospel of John. Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit. He tells them they're going to be hated by all on account of His name. And then He tells them that they're all going to fall away because of Him. And of course, Peter stands up and says, never me, I won't do it. All the other disciples said the same thing. Jesus, walking a little further, takes him into a little garden grove there on the Mount of Olives. I've been there. Maybe some of you have been there. On the side, the uh, side just facing the other side of Jerusalem is this beautiful garden area where there are olive trees, and we believe that this was where Jesus would have taken his disciples into this garden, this garden called Gethsemane, and there he was going to spend uh, some intimate time with his heavenly Father as he faced this incredible reality of what was about to come down upon him. And I think what encourages me about this text that we're going to look at today is that here we see Jesus, this beautiful picture of, of the reality of his own humanity as he struggles with what's coming upon his life. When life feels overwhelming, we need to look to the life of Jesus to see how we navigate those kinds of times. And that's what we're going to see as we pick up right here in verse 36, follow along as I read. When Jesus... Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping 
because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Well, it's a tense place in Scripture. It's a beautiful passage, actually. And what we're going to look at today, give you kind of the overview, we're going to look at why Jesus is in this garden. What did he go there to do? And then we're going to see exactly what he did there and how we relate to not only what he did, but how we also relate to what the disciples were doing also. So with that in mind, we want to just peel back a little bit this morning and see what's going on behind this text. And for me, as I look at this passage, I see, first of all, in verses 36 through 38, that following Jesus will sometimes take us into seasons and places in life where sorrow and trouble seem overwhelming. I don't know about you, but in a crowd this size, I think there's probably someone here that feels right now, today, that life is overwhelming. Is that you? Is it you? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. Just is it you? I mean, it could be you today. It could be a lot of us today where life just feels overwhelming. And I find such encouragement in knowing that our precious Lord, my Jesus, in his humanity, experienced a season in his own life that felt like it was overwhelming to the point of death. Sorrow, trouble in life. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested, tried in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. This is why we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is why we look to him. And I find great comfort in knowing that my Jesus went through a season of intense sorrow and trouble where he needed to wrestle with God. Now, I've met people who seem shocked when they go through trials and situations in their Christian life. Maybe they've plugged a little bit too much into some of those TV evangelists who talk about the fact that, you know, you should never have problems. If you have enough faith and you belong to God, your life is going to be just one smooth journey. And if it isn't smooth, it's because something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith or whatever. That's what's incredibly difficult of hearing a message like that is that it doesn't even match up with the life of Jesus here in Matthew 26. Jesus said, my heart is sorrowful. Look at it again the text. Jesus says, it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled and he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, verse 38. That's intense. That's Jesus. That's the Son of God. That blows my mind. That tells me that I have a Savior that understands when I feel like my life is just blowing apart or I don't understand what's going on or my heart feels heavy. It's important for us to know that. Before we move on, I want to just go a little more technical into these two verbs in verse 37. Would you look at them in your Bible again, verse 37? The two verbs, sorrowful and troubled. 
They describe an extremely acute emotion, says Expositor's Bible Commentary. A compound of bewilderment, fear, uncertainty, and anxiety, nowhere else portrayed in such vivid terms in the whole New Testament than right here. If you want to find anywhere in the New Testament where it talks about someone being troubled and sorrowful to the point of death, you won't find any more graphic picture than what we see right here with Jesus. This kind of mental and emotional uh, difficulty and challenge is right out of the human experience. Everybody sooner or later has this kind of experience. And Jesus wants us to know. He wants to know that that's a normal part of this earthly journey, even as a Christ follower, even for Jesus. Jesus went through the same thing. Now, I'm sure in a crowd this size, we've got lots of different things that have happened in people's lives. I mean, I hate to even mention it, but I'm sure some of us here have lost children. Maybe you lost a little child, or maybe a teenager, or an adult child, and there's just something really wrong emotionally and in every other level when you lose your kids, one of your kids, or more of your kids. Or you may have lost a spouse, or you've lost a parent, or you've lost a brother or sister or a very dear friend. Loss, death is a very difficult human emotion to go through. It's challenging. But there are other things too. I mean, if you're going through a relationship issue today, you might be feeling that sorrow and that trouble of spirit. Uh, If you've been through a divorce, wow, that's an incredibly difficult thing. An addiction, yes, Financial debt, yes, joblessness, homelessness, childlessness, depression, physical illness, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. I mean, there's lots of things that bring trouble and sorrow and anxiety to our hearts, even for believers in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ and you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, then I just want you to tuck in a little closer to Jesus Because Jesus, right here in this text, knows exactly what you feel, and even more so. I don't know, if I had to label these kinds of seasons in my own life, I would call them a garden of pain experience. I mean, here we have this place called Gethsemane, and we'll get to that. But I just see this as a garden of pain. Are you in the garden of pain today? Some of us are. There's a garden of pain in our lives. and Maybe we're going to look at it in those terms today. You found yourself in the garden of pain. Well, what do you do in the garden of pain? What is the garden of pain? It's a place where we are desperate, desperate for answers, desperate to hear from God, desperate to find something, somewhere we can kind of get our baseline back. And here's what I've discovered, if you're you're taking notes. I see that in these places and seasons, we, we need desperately a couple of things. The first thing we need is we need to meet with God. Say that with me. We need to meet with God. This answers the question as to why Jesus brought his disciples into Gethsemane. Because Jesus knew he needed to meet with his heavenly Father. He needed that in a powerful way. I like how James talks about this in chapter 4, verse 8 of of the epistle James, the letter James wrote, Come near to God and he will come near to you. When we talk about getting together with God, we're talking about, I mean, of course, you know, God is on omnipresent, right? I mean, he's everywhere. You're never going to show up to a place where God isn't already there, right? God is everywhere at once. Um, it's a beautiful reality of God, God's character. Psalm 139 says, where can I go? If I want to flee from God, where can I go? I go up the heavens, he's there. I go down to the Sheol, he's there. If I go to the sea, the depths of the earth, the east, the west, wherever he is, there he is. God is always there. But to say that and to know that 
is one thing, but the reality is we need to also seek the Lord. We need to go after the Lord. We need to come and connect with the Lord, pray to the Lord, spend time with the Lord. And a lot of us, that's where we kind of drop the ball. We know God's everywhere, but we're really not kind of focused. And Jesus is in the garden because he wants to press in to the Father. We need to meet with God. This is a great thing. Now, if you're taking notes, I've, this is not in your notes, not on the PowerPoint, but I've written down in my notes that we can meet with God anywhere, but sometimes it's helpful to have a special place. Um, I don't know about you. I, I, I do a lot of praying in my, my house. Our bedroom is a, is a place where um, there's a little desk in the corner. It's kind of my study. It's also a place where I, I meet with God in prayer, and it's, it's a place where I do a lot of my praying. But, but I also do prayer walking. I pray through our community. Um, you know, I love walking through the neighborhood where I live. I take a little lap around the block. It's about a mile to walk up my street, up higher and down Forest and up Redwood Road, and, and that's kind of where I live over there. But that's kind of a place where I pray, and I pray for people. I walk by the high school. I pray for kids and students. But I also pray for you. I pray for lots of stuff going on in my life. There's lots of stuff that kind of provokes me to pray. Uh, and, a, and a prayer walk is one of those kind of places. Um, it, when I have kind of heavy stuff going in my life and I really need to kind of separate and be alone, I, I often will find the crosses as a great place for me to connect with God. Um, I, I go out to the furthest cross on our property and I go to the outside rim and I sit down there. And, and so nobody, you know, you couldn't see me if you, if you were looking for me. And uh, that's part of the reason why I go there sometimes. It's a very private spot. But, uh, but the, the rush of the freeway traffic is sort of a wash that kind of blurs everything out in my mind and I get to really focus. And so if you ever see me out under the crosses, okay, Pastor Larry's going through something there. Let's uh, pray for Pastor Larry, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, that's the, I was out there a couple weeks ago and, um, and suddenly I heard like this camera like, you know, pictures. I'm like, whoa, and I turned around. And there's someone there that was trying to catch the sunset because it's a beautiful spot out there and with all the freeways and everything. And they didn't know I was there and I didn't know they were there. And suddenly we were both kind of like, ah! you know, it was a little weird experience. <laughs> Do you have a place? Do you have a place where you go? You know, for Jesus, that place was Gethsemane. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see something that Matthew doesn't include. But in Luke's rendition of this story, go over to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just a few, couple books over and a few chapters. Luke 22. It's the same exact story. It's more brief in Luke's account. He's got a different purpose in sharing the story. But something that Luke says that Matthew doesn't is beautiful. And I want you to see it. Verse 39 of 22. Luke writes, Jesus went out, would you say these two words with me? As usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Now, did you see those two little words, as usual? Matthew doesn't have that. But Luke wants us to see something about Jesus that Matthew didn't show us, and that is that Jesus always went to Gethsemane. That was his spot. That's where when Jesus had something in his heart to pray about, that's where you would find Jesus. If he was in that area, he was at Gethsemane. He was in the garden. What does Gethsemane mean? Do you know what it means? It means olive press. Some of you have olive orchards. I know some of us, uh, I've, been, I've received some olive oil from some of you at times. Beautiful. Thank you. You know if you have an olive orchard and you're going to 
do olive oil, you got to press the oil out of the olives. That's a process of pressing. You ever feel like you're in the press? The press is on you? Jesus chose a spot that actually had the name the press. It's a good reminder. It's where he connected with his heavenly Father. He had a habitual place. And I don't know. I just throw that out. I think it's probably good to have a place. You can do it on the fly too. You know, you drive down the road. You spend time with somewhere. You're walking, jogging, whatever. Use time to pray. Talk to God. Draw near to Him. The whole point of what's going on here is that Jesus was there to meet with God. But there's a second thing I want you to see about why Jesus is there. And that is, Jesus is also there to be with His disciples. He takes his disciples into the garden and then he keeps a few of them there and he takes a few further. If you're taking notes, I want you to see that we not only need to meet with God, but we need true community and the presence of a few close friends. If you're in the garden of pain, you need to meet with God and you need a a few close friends that know what you're going through. The biblical word for that is community. We belong together to each other. I know a lot of people that go through the garden of pain experiences, but they don't have anybody with them. Most people have very few people around them in the big crisis. But Jesus, and I love this about Jesus, he models community. Jesus is with his disciples and he says, hey guys, I'm going into my usual spot, but I'm taking you with me. And he takes 11, remember Judas is already gone to meet with the chief priests and the elders, and he's got his 11, and he takes his 11, and he says, you guys, I want you eight to stay here. I'm taking Peter, James, and John, and we're going to go a little further in. This is also a picture of even greater intimacy with a few. Now, in chaplaincy work or pastoral work, we call this the ministry of presence. It's not talking, it's not sharing, it's just being there with somebody. And if you're ever invited into somebody's garden of pain, someone's circle of pain, I want you to realize what a privilege that is. Because if somebody invites you there, it's because they need you there. And your presence with them in that moment can be a lifesaver for them without even speaking one word, just being there. I've been with people in situations. I've been with some of you in situations like that. Some of you have been with me in situations like that. Do you have a few faithful people in your life that you would call upon when you're in your garden of pain? There's some people in my life that I'm so grateful God has given me for years and years, I don't know, for 37 years they've been in my life. Two two men specifically that kind of have journeyed with my life. They know everything about my family, my marriage, my kids. They know everything about my personal life, my professional life. They They know it all. And when something's going down in my life that's really hard, I'm so glad. I can say, guys, we need to get together and pray. And I've got staff people around me, and I've got brothers in Christ, dear brothers, people that have walked with me, and I could just go on and on. Some of them are in that little book that I wrote, that people that just track with me and walk with me in prayer. And I, I, can, I can just, in my mind right now, just visualize places on mountaintops, in little tents where I've been backpacking or, or in a car in the parking lot of a restaurant nearby or, or somewhere where I'm crying and they're crying or he's crying and the people in my life are crying because we're just stretched out before God and we're saying, God, you got to show up. 
You have those desperate moments. It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing. I've got spiritual sons and daughters in this church that I look at like my own family. I've got spiritual fathers and mothers that I look at like my own family, brothers and sisters. And that's why Carolina said, you know, we're a big church and, and you can just get lost in a big church and you can be a one person, sort of an individual that, yeah, you've got your, you can meet with God, but you need community in your life. Help us help you find it. Community is so important. We need to meet with God. We need to meet with people. Okay, let's, let's back out of that little part for just a minute and think about identifying with what's really going on here in the text. Let's get back in the text and see a little more of what's going on. Um, I want to show you, I want us to just learn some things from Jesus really quickly here. Um, first of all, like Jesus, let's relate to Jesus here. Like Jesus, we all have moments when personal pain leads us to wrestle with God, okay? And some of us are wrestling today. It's a beautiful place to be. Um, and you're not alone. If you feel like you're wrestling with God and you're all alone, that's the enemy saying, nobody else around here going through what you're going through. Don't talk about it with anybody. That's the lie of the enemy. There's a ton of people going through exactly the same thing you're going through. And they might be sitting right behind you or in front of you. And that's why, you know, we get to know each other a little bit. And that's why we have community and opportunity to talk to each other. But with Jesus, here's Jesus. Let's ask the question, why was Jesus sorrowful and troubled to the point of death? Well, you might think, as I did, well, of course, he's about to die. He's, he's going to the cross. He's going to be bludgeoned and beaten and fl flogged. And he's going to be mocked and cursed and thrown on a cross. And he's going to die a crucial, uh, an excruciate, excruciating death of suffocation, not blood loss, suffocation, not being able to breathe. And he's probably going to hang there for, as Romans knew, sometimes you would hang there for days. And that's not the case with our Lord Jesus. Jesus was in control of his life and his death right up to the end. But where am I going with that? I don't think that was what Jesus was really sweating. I mean, I think it, it was a reality in his heart, but I think what, what Jesus was really troubled about was there was going to be, for a period, a, a very short period, there was going to be a cessation between the intimacy he had with his heavenly Father that he had known for eternity past. Because there would come a point when Jesus took the sin of the world on him that he would be the sin bearer. He would be the Lamb of God upon which all the wrath of God would fall. In Psalm 22, God, oh my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think that's what Jesus was stressing about. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, right? Hebrews tells us. And so our Lord Jesus here is, is under great emotional stress. So what does he do? I see in Jesus' prayer, I see three things that give me encouragement. Can you see them also in your Bible? Verse 39a, first of all, we can, like Jesus, we can ask God if there's any way around whatever's causing the pain. Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, is there any way you can just sort of remove this from my life? Anybody ever prayed that way? I do all the time. That's the first thing I pray. <laughs> Lord, is there any way you could just sort of like take this out of my life or take me out of the situation? Just a little cosmic 
crane, just pull me up, take me out, put me down over here. I don't want to be a part of that. That's a normal prayer. And Jesus prays this prayer. I love that. I relate to that. Now, I don't want to break your bubble or anything here, but usually that's not the way God answers prayer. <laughs> and that's not the way He answered Jesus' prayer. He doesn't always remove it. So, what's the next thing that Jesus does? He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So here's Jesus saying, I, I'm going to ask you, Father, if you would just take this away from me, but I know what I need most is what your will is. So the second stage in what we pray for, and we can relate to Jesus on this, is that we should be discerning the will of God. You could write that down next to that little blank if you want. The will of God. More importantly, our prayer should turn to desiring the will of God. Are you asking for the will of God? I mean, no matter how hard it is, no matter how weird it is, no matter how whatever, because we know that this is where blessing comes, when we're in the will of God. No matter how hard it is, no matter how crazy it is in our lives, if we're in the will of God, that's where the blessing's going to come, even if there's suffering in the process. And then we can ask God to remove it. We can press into what God's will really is, but watch this. The third place like Jesus, we must come to the place of embracing God's will no matter what. And here's where I see in verse 42, and this happens twice, verse 42 and 44, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You know, I've studied this passage a bunch. I've never seen that before like that. Jesus is essentially saying, look, if, there's, if the only way through this is to drink this cup of suffering, then I'm going to drink it all the way down. Uh, here's an easy way to remember what, what's going on there in that kind of prayer. The way out is through. <laughs> Say that with me. The way out is through. Now, that counters a lot of what we feel in our lives. We don't want to go through. We want to go out. But here Jesus says, if, there's only way, if the only way out of this is through it, then I'm going to go through it all the way. I love that about our Lord. Now, let's talk about the disciples for just a minute, and we'll be done. Like the disciples, we don't always live up to our professed Loyalty to Jesus. <laughs> now, if you were here with us last week, you, you heard a lot about the disciples' loyalty. Let me give you a couple things that might connect. First of all, we tend to drift in our focus of attention. Uh, so Jesus says to his disciples, um, okay, guys, I'm going to go into the garden a little bit here. Guys, would you stay here? And I'm going to take Peter, James, and John with me. And then he says to Peter, James, and John, he says, would you guys just keep watch. The only thing Jesus wanted them to do was to keep watch. Stay awake. That's it. Just stay awake. <laughs> and Jesus goes off for an hour, it says, to pray. And he comes back. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. You know something I didn't also see? Look at verse 49, uh, Verse 40. I love this at the end. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, remember where we were last week? You're all going to fall away on account of me. Peter, not me, Lord. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus was just kind of going, uh, Peter, remember you said, 
You weren't going to fail me. You would even die for me. Peter, you're not even staying awake for me. Well, we can't laugh too hard at Peter. We can't really make fun of him because I don't know about you, but I, I drift off in a lot of important seasons in life. I drift off. I've drifted off in parenting. I've drifted off in marriage. I've drifted off in, in pastoral work. I've, drif- I've drifted. I've drifted. We drift. We have this pronation in our hearts to drift, sometimes in crucial moments. We're just we're, we're people that fall asleep. Is anybody asleep right now? Look around. I'm working too hard on that one, huh? The last few weeks we've been... Okay. So we, we, we drift. The second thing I see about our, the disciples that I relate to is that we seem to repeat our mistakes. So he wakes them up. Hey, guys, come on. I only asked you to stay awake. And they go, ah, yeah, Lord, okay, yeah, okay. And he goes off to pray again. And he comes back. And there they are, once again. He went away a second time, verse 42, and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you see what's happening in Jesus? Jesus is getting stronger in the recognition that this cup is not going away. He's spending time with the father, and he's, his heart is getting more and more settled on what's about to take place. Courage is growing. Strength is growing. And he comes back to his disciples, and they're still sleeping. Look at this. When he came back, he again found, verse 43, he had found them sleep, sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And this was fresh to me too, verse 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. I, I don't know. I just find a little blessing there in the fact that Jesus didn't even wake them up. <laughs> he comes back and, uh, uh, eh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the body posture was. But I think maybe it might have been too. These guys are stressed too and they maybe just need a little rest right now. I don't know. I just love the fact that Jesus didn't go, oh, come on, you got again? Are you kidding me? He just grazes them and he leaves and he goes and he prays again. And you can just see the strength building, 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 building. Even though we constantly do the same things over and over and over again. But Jesus is gracious in our repeated failures. He doesn't shame us. He convicts us. He loves us. He's with us. He never forsakes us. And then, lastly, here's something that we don't remember all the time. We forget how strong the flesh can be in our need for God when we face what overwhelms us. You know, our flesh is always telling us the easy way out, easy way out, easy way out. And, the, and that's what Jesus says right here. He says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So let's, let's look at the battle. The battle is... I have looked at the enemy, and the enemy is me. So Jesus says, this is why we need to develop the disciplines of watchfulness and prayerfulness. Because we just drift, we repeat the same things over and over and over again, and we forget how strong the flesh can be. I don't know who's here today, I don't know who's listening today. I I just know in my own life that these things are encouraging to me. Because, watch this. Jesus, we know, we know the gospel story. Jesus goes victoriously to the cross, and he victoriously wins the battle. And three days later, he rises from the grave. When I say he wins the battle, I, didn't, I mean that he went to death purposefully, triumphantly. 
when he cried, it is finished, that was not a cry of giving up. It was, the job is done. It was victory. And where did Jesus get the victory? This is what I want us to see as we close our time. The victory of the cross happens in the garden. And today, whatever you're facing, the the situation that seems so overwhelming to you, and you're looking down the road in your life, and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get to this and do this over here? Listen, the battle has to be won here. It's here in the garden where the battle has to be won. And I see this where Jesus, I don't know, I'm not trying to read into this, but verse 45, he returns to his disciples and he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I don't see desperation here. I see purpose. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is like he's saying, bring it, we're ready. Because he's been in the garden. He's stretched out before God, his Father. And he got what he needed. He met with his God, his Father. And he had a, he had a community 